Hello and welcome to Bone Up, the podcast all about bones, how we make them, why we break them, and if we fully understand them. I'm David Armstrong. Hi, and I'm Richie Abel. And over this series, we're going to be exploring osteoporosis, bones, what we know and what we're yet to discover. And we hope you will join us on the journey. So for anyone keen to learn more about our infrastructure of calcified collagen, this is Bone Up. Hello and welcome back to Bone Up, the podcast uh, all about bones. Uh, it's great to see you again, Richie. You too, David. It's been a while. It has been. And uh, as we're coming into the, the brighter weather here, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere, we might get a little more vitamin D when we're out and about. And uh, a few other things are, are coming back to normal as well. I'm certainly getting my, my complement of clinics back up towards normal, trying to get back through the the backlog that has built up during the pandemic. And uh, of course, as, as, as scientists and doctors, we're maybe getting back to some more face-to-face meetings and face-to-face conferences. Um, you have something planned, Richie? Yes, I'm off to the Bone Research Society conference in July this year, and also the European Calcified Tissue Society conference, which is in May this year. It's out in Helsinki, and I've never been there before, so I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, a thing that I really love about the bone community is how everybody's so friendly and easy to get along with. I feel like it's a really nice community. Made a lot of friends over the years, including yourself, David. And I'm so excited to see everybody again and uh, hear hear about some science and maybe go for a beer afterwards. Yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, we've we've done our best with with virtual conferences and Zoom meetings and so forth, but. You know as well as I do, there's a lot to be said for just meeting up informally with people and chatting about about science and medicine and other things as well. Uh, I'm hoping to attend the British Society of Rheumatology uh, conference uh, at the end of April. Uh, it's in Glasgow, not just as exotic as Helsinki, but Glasgow is, of course, the spiritual home of, of fracture liaison services and, and osteoporosis. So that will be good. And if there's any rheumatologists certainly listening to the cast, do come up and uh, do come up and speak to me or even come to the evening uh, seminar, one of the pharma seminars, the first evening that I'll be, I'll be chairing. We'd be delighted to, to see you there. Bone Up, of course, won't be there officially uh, at these conferences, but Richie and I will be there as individuals. But, but maybe some, some news about, about Bone Up, Richie, at a, at a conference? Yeah, we're hoping to do a Bone Up live session at one of the conferences, maybe get about, interview people about their research, Quite often the conferences give out awards for the best research that's been done over the last year. We'd like to catch up with those awardees and see what kind of research they've been doing so we can bring it to you, the listener at home. And hopefully we can give you a really, really up-to-date insight onto the latest and greatest research, which is maybe only being presented at conferences yet and hasn't been in the literature. Yeah, that'd be really exciting. And conferences, I take it, are in, in Seychelles and Mauritius and, and that sort of part of the world, Richie, those are the ones we'd be looking at? 
most definitely i could do with some i could do with a nice holiday having been stuck at home for two years um it was interesting what you were saying about how we've been getting along doing conferences online uh i chaired one of the sessions at the royal osteoporosis society conference last year and i i chaired it from my bedroom live across the nation and i i put on a suit and i i was wearing my suit and a pair of slippers because nobody could see underneath the desk to chair that meeting and it, it felt a bit silly to put a suit on to go upstairs but at the same time it was kind of nice to get back to a bit of normality I suppose. Yeah you know I was going to say I don't think I've ever seen you in a suit but I do remember we met uh, the Duchess of, of Cornwall a few years ago and, and I think you had a suit on that day. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had a new suit that day yeah I think yeah. I think I was given instructions. <laughs> We're talking of, of new things and things getting back to normal. We have a few new things about this episode. Um, firstly, we're talking about a specific clinical topic within osteoporosis, and that is pregnancy-associated osteoporosis. And the other novelty for us is that we are having an interview with a patient. And it does make me wonder, I suppose, how have we got so far without actually speaking to a patient about osteoporosis, Richie? But we're really looking forward to that uh, today to hear first-hand experience of what it's like to be diagnosed with osteoporosis and, and fractures uh, in a rather unexpected way and at a rather unexpected age. Yeah, it's great to give some context, I guess, to the research that we'll talk about later about pregnancy-associated osteoporosis, which is something we haven't done very much of yet. And, and thank you to all the listeners who have been writing and tweeting to suggest to us that we bring some patient voices to the podcast. So we can we can give the context to the research and show everybody how important it is. Yeah, I mean, pregnancy associated osteoporosis is a very rare condition, um, and that's one of the things we'll probably hear about about later. Is that we're not quite just sure sure how rare it is. Um, it's a condition in which people suffer fractures either when they are pregnant or when they have just given birth. Um, it usually comes as a great shock to patients and it is a condition about which we still know relatively little both in terms of what causes it and also I suppose in terms of, of how best to manage it. I suppose we might need a bit of uh, expectation management on on this episode then. It, it sounds in some ways like we're going to find out what we need to discover <laughs> rather than so much what we already know. Absolutely. That's that, that's true. So probably without further ado, we uh, spoke earlier today to Kirsty. You will probably guess from her accent that she is a patient of mine. And she was able to tell us a little about what happened to her uh, when she was pregnant with her first child. Kirsty, it's absolutely lovely to, to see you and hear you. Thanks very much for coming onto the uh, podcast today. Thank you for joining us, Kirsty. Do you want to just introduce yourself and just tell us a little about, about who you are and, and what you do? Uh, yeah, no problem. So thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Kirsty. Um, I'm just, I've just turned 30, so into the, into the 30s now. Um, and I'm a family support worker based in Derry, Londonderry. Um, I have a wee boy, he's called Freddie, and he's coming one just in a couple of weeks' time. So that's me. That's lovely. Fantastic. So I wonder if you could uh, tell us about what happened in late 2020 when you injured your ankle. 
Um, yeah, so when I was, uh, I was actually 18 weeks pregnant at the time um, with Freddie and I just, one day I just came out of my house and went over the ankle um, down onto the driveway and I knew straight away that it was broke. I, I, heard, I heard the crack um, <clears throat> and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the date because it was the same day my sister had her baby. Um, so talk about stealing someone's thunder. <laughs> But um, yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty scary. I think especially because I was pregnant, it was even more scary. So, but yeah, um, that's sort of what happened. Yeah. Could you tell us about June twenty twenty one when you were lifting Freddie out of the car? What happened? Um, so it was I had Freddie in April, and then this was probably the start of June that I had took the um, like a really bad pain in my back and. Lifting Freddie out of the car and the car seat was really the only thing that I could think of that would have caused the pain. Um, I actually had a section with him, so I had been on some pain medication at the start. So I sort of thought that maybe initially that the pain was from like the labour or the birth or whatever. But um, then obviously I stopped taking the pain relief and that my back pain just started getting worse and worse. Um, but I remember like obviously having this wee newborn baby and sort of lying on my lying on the bed and the pain being so bad and I remember thinking like there's something really not right here with this um and I would the only way I can describe it was like spasms so like I remember one one day I was lying on the bed and my cat like brushed past me and the spasms the pain in my back I, I couldn't even explain it it was it was um bad yeah it was pretty bad can't imagine how hard that must have been looking after a newborn baby and at the same time being in so much pain and maybe not knowing what was wrong at the start. Yeah. So I, un Sorry, go ahead. I understand that you went to hospital and you had an MRI scan and that the MRI revealed that you had several broken vertebrae in your spine. That must have been a shock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, to be honest, I couldn't really, I couldn't really believe what they were saying to me, um, that it was it was me, you know. And I think just as you were saying about having this new, wee newborn baby to look after, it's kind of like he was my main priority. So I didn't really, at the time, I was like, it'll not be that bad, it'll not be that bad, because he was my main priority. But whenever I was told that then, it was just, it was like really a shock. Um, and I couldn't really quite understand like how that could even happen if there wasn't like a specific like hard unpacked accident or anything like that. Um, and as I say, the only thing I could really think would have caused it was lifting the car seat. Um, but you would never think that doing something like that would cause fractures in your spine. So, yeah, it was definitely a shock. And then you came to the you came to the osteoporosis clinic after you had a, a DEXA scan done, mm -hmm. and I mean you're you're quite right. One of the things we have talked about in other episodes of of this podcast is how people with osteoporosis break bones with very little effort. Sometimes they're not even aware of how they've done it, or just a very minor injury. And you're quite right, lifting a car seat with a baby in it shouldn't cause a broken bone unless the bones are fragile. And you had a, a DEXA scan done. 
and it showed that you actually had quite low bone density, as as you know, really very low bone density. Um, for people listening, maybe who are aware of this, you had a, a T score of of minus three point six, and I know we sort of pointed this out on the on the DEXA scan result uh, to you. Had you had you heard of osteoporosis before? Did you know something could affect young women or or people who were pregnant? Um, yeah, so I had heard of it before, um, but it definitely was something that I associated with like elderly people. Um, so whenever, and also there was no one, like there's no one in my family. So even like my grandmother, she's 75 and she's as fit as a fiddle, <laughs> you know, um, she, no one has in my family has ever been diagnosed with it. So it wasn't something that I was overly familiar with, but um, yeah. definitely not something that I thought like a young fit person would suffer from. Did you find it? Did you look for information about it before you came to the clinic or did you find information about it easy to access? Um, I can't recall looking for information before I came to the clinic, but definitely after our initial meeting, um, I did um, look. It was the Osteoporosis Society, is it? Is that right? Yeah, Royal Osteoporosis yeah. Society, yeah. So I was on their website quite a bit, actually. Um, so it was great to sort of have that that resource there to you know have a have a read through and see sort of what what was going on. Um, I do remember actually reading some stuff and it and feeling quite scared. I remember talking to my partner about it and saying, you know, this is I really just didn't believe I didn't believe that it was me that it was happening to to be honest. Um, and so it was quite scary at at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. It's sometimes reassuring to know that there are other people. We have the same thing mm -hmm. uh, and to read information about it and I think even you said to me uh, it's reassuring to know there are even other people came to the clinic who who had it and, and that you know you weren't entirely alone with it. I mean how are things now then further? How's Freddie doing we should ask to start off with? Freddie's great um he is just a wee he's a wee dote and he's, he's trying now to, <laughs> to walk and stuff so um that's interesting. <laughs> I definitely need I don't know about eyes in the back of your head. You need more than that. Um, yes. But no, he um, he really is. He's getting on great. And I'm feeling much better now as well, um, thankfully. So, yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, what, what's the pain like at the moment in the back? Because, I mean, this is important. There will be people probably maybe listening to this who will have gone through the same thing as you've gone through, but will be far uh, much less further on in this. So your pain has improved, has it? Yeah, the pain has definitely improved. I've actually been going really regularly to um, physio up in the hospital, mm -hmm. so um, she's really, um, she's really, you know, impressed by the the progress. Um, and I, I definitely find like even everyday tasks, and even as Freddie's getting bigger and heavier, because he does like potatoes a lot. He eats a lot. Um, he, He's from Northern Ireland, so of course he likes potatoes. Yep. That's it. So he he definitely is getting a lot bigger and a lot heavier. And because he's not fully on his feet yet, I'm still having to lift him. And um, I forgot to mention my partner works away, so I'm there a lot on my own doing those things. Um, but I do find that it's definitely not as bad as it, as it was. That's that's good. One of the other things you have been been breastfeeding, which is, is good, good for you and good for Freddie, but it limits to some extent, obviously, the medication that, that you can take. Mm -hmm. Until now, you've been taking calcium and vitamin D supplements, I think. Isn't that right? Yeah. 
and our, our plans are then to repeat the DEXA scan later on in the year um, and then discuss what we're going to going to do at, at that stage. Um, is there anything anything else you would want to say to someone if you if there was someone listening to this now who maybe had just suffered a fracture while they were pregnant? Is there anything you would say to them? Um, I think that it's really important to say that you know your own body. Um, I had sort of initially at the start, I had spoke to people and they, you know, they sort of said things like, oh, I don't know why they're sending you for an x-ray or an MRI. There's nothing wrong with your bones. You're young, you're fat. But I remember standing in my mum's kitchen just before I went for my x-ray and I said, there, something's wrong. Like there's something not right with my body and you know yourself. Um, especially like, you know, your own limits and, and all. And there was things that I definitely couldn't do that I normally would have did no problem. So definitely listen to your own body and ask for ask for help and ask for support and get it seen and get it checked. Definitely. Yeah, it's one of the things we've tried to do with this podcast is to is to empower people to go and ask questions and and, you know, to to demand investigations and to really ask for the, the best treatment that they can. And as you say, you do know your own body as a mother, you know, your own body and as a a mother of a baby, you know your baby as well. I, I think so. Yeah, that that's that's a, that's a very good answer. <laughs> Kirsty, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for sharing your story with us and for the listeners. I think people are going to really want to listen to this podcast. Thank you so much. No problem. You're welcome, and thank you so much for letting me do this because I know how I know personally if. If it was me and there was a resource like this available and talking or listening sorry to someone's story and being similar to my own it really would have helped no one just that that it is although it's rare it does happen and um so i just want to say thank yous as well for giving me the opportunity it's great it's a pleasure kirsty and and thank you for overcoming the technical difficulties that we always have getting getting people online and getting the recording made so thank you very much indeed for that thank you Wow, David, that was a really powerful story. And I thought Kirsty was incredibly articulate there explaining uh, what happened to her uh, when her fractures arose and her understanding concept of the condition. As the clinician, what's it like from your perspective, meeting, consulting, managing patients with pregnancy osteoporosis? Well, in most conditions I see we have a huge background of research and data and guidelines on which to draw when, when advising people. This is one of those conditions where genuinely there is very little or no large research on the causes, on, on investigation and on management. Now, of course, part of the job of being a doctor is to come alongside people and say, you know, you're not the only person I've seen with this and we will get you through this and we will manage it. And Actually, most people do well from it, but nevertheless, you do have to be open and admit to patients that this is not something we know a lot about. But the good news is that we are finding out more about it. There's research going on at the moment, and you know we will sort of come alongside you and, and be with you on the journey through this condition. I was actually able to tell Kirsty that there is some research going on uh, and indeed mention our, our guest uh, on the on the program today, which is, is Professor uh, Stuart Ralston from Edinburgh. Um, 
And this is probably a good time to, to chat to Stuart just about his understanding of this condition uh, and some of the, the research that's taking place. Okay, let's get the research perspective. We're delighted to introduce our guest today. We have Professor Stuart Rolston from the University of Edinburgh. He's a rheumatologist with an interest in bone disease, working in the Centre for Genomic and Experimental Medicine. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you. Welcome, Stuart. It's uh, really good that you've made time to join us on the podcast. Yeah, we're very excited to talk to you. We spoke to a patient about pregnancy and osteoporosis, and uh, we'd like to throw some questions at you. So maybe to, to kick off then, could you give us some background and just tell us what normally happens to a mother's bones when she becomes pregnant? Okay, thanks, David. Yeah, well, <clears throat> the normal status in, in any woman that becomes pregnant is they lose a little bit of bone, actually, maybe about four or five percent of bone mass. Um, this is due to the needs of the fetus, obviously, the glowing skeleton, and that's taken away partly from the maternal, maternal skeleton. Now, um, after the baby's born, um, and if the woman is breastfeeding, the bone mass remains a little bit lower than it was uh, prior to pregnancy. But then, uh, as breastfeeding stops, gradually the bone is regained, and yeah, the skeleton is back to normal. Now, of course, normally this small reduction in bone mass doesn't really make much of a difference. Uh, we're going to talk about pregnancy associated osteoporosis, but most women, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of women go through pregnancy without any problems whatsoever. But a proportion of women, something goes wrong. And as we'll discuss, we're not sure what goes wrong, but either maybe there's too much bone is lost or maybe not enough to start with, and it, it can actually cause osteoporosis. But for most women, uh, pregnancy is not a bad thing for the bones and uh, it doesn't cause any problems. So how common then is pregnancy associated osteoporosis? I mean, I have a few patients at my clinic. You have some at yours. How, how common is it? in the real world? This is a very good question and one which is completely unknown. We know it's rare because uh, my clinic is full of people with postmenopausal osteoporosis, but as you've said yourself, only occasionally do you have someone with pregnancy-associated osteoporosis. A figure of one in 200,000 live births has been quoted. I've actually looked into where that number came from and I have absolutely no idea. I think someone plucked it out of the air. Um, we looked at the number of patients in our area in NHS Lothian that are attending the clinic and, and we thought it might be more like one in 50,000. Okay, so it might be a bit more common uh, than than is is quoted, but certainly it's not common, but that sort of level basically. And in the UK, I don't know how many would that be? Gosh, my, my sums aren't very good, but it, it, it's something that all... Uh, that bone specialists will see from time to time, but quite a rare disorder. So given that so many women can have a normal pregnancy without any real problems in the bone, why is it that some women can get osteoporosis? Okay, thanks, Richie. Well, again, another good question. And, and the problem with pregnancy-associated osteoporosis is that Clinicians like myself and David and other clinicians that see these patients, you know, you might have one or two patients on your books. And so you don't get a picture of, well, 
what are the risk factors? And there hasn't been a good study to look at that. But anecdotally, there are some women, for example, who have been treated uh, for clotting disorders during pregnancy with a medicine called heparin. And I've had two patients I can think of that were on heparin. And that's known that can predispose to osteoporosis. So maybe there's something going on there. If you look at the literature, there are some women who have had inflammatory disease like rheumatoid arthritis that have developed it. Some women on steroids who have developed it. But for most women, I would say it comes out of the blue, like a bolt out of the blue. There aren't any risk factors. And suddenly uh, the patient is presenting with fractures in, in late pregnancy, uh, typically. And, and, and that's, that's how the condition first presents. I was just going to ask, is your experience that the presentation is often delayed because a fracture is the last thing that occurs to anyone certainly the patient we spoke to earlier Kirsty, you know it took a long time before it was considered that a fracture might have been the cause of her pain and that would be my experience for a lot of patients david that's absolutely that's absolutely true um and of course back pain is common during pregnancy you know because the, because of the baby you, the, the the back is well a little bit you, the woman is carrying an extra load, as it were. So back pain is quite common, but pregnancy-associated osteoporosis is quite rare. So the women I've had, often they've had a bit of back pain. They've been told, well, don't worry about it. It's nothing very much. But then eventually it might get more severe or there may be an acute episode. And then the penny drops and someone thinks, Mm -hmm. well, there must be something wrong here. This is a bit out of the ordinary. And uh, the diagnosis is made. I I must admit that the pay, I've always I've thought actually since seeing a few of those patients, I wondered why during pregnancy the height doesn't get measured, and I've said that to women. Did anyone measure your height at the start of pregnancy? No is the answer, because that can often give a clue. And in fact, when the patients come to the clinic, you measure them, and they say, you know, you're five foot three and then they say no 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 I used to be five foot six or five foot five so height loss is actually quite an important symptom but it's not um it's not recorded routine during during pregnancy so that's often another thing that makes you think well this is just more than ordinary back pain or muscular pain. Stuart when you were talking about uh, some of the risk factors for pregnancy associated osteoporosis you were talking about inflammation Mm. and you were talking about steroids in previous episodes of Bone Up, we've talked about the bone cells, the osteoclasts and osteoblasts and how they break down and then reform bone and how that plays a key role in the development of osteoporosis. Do you think that those risk factors are risk factors that could affect the activity of those bone cells and lead to bone loss? Sure. I mean, if we take the steroid example, for example, that um, that will reduce the activity of bone forming cells, osteoblasts, bone forming cells, also osteocytes. So steroids can impair the activity of those cells. In the case of inflammatory disease, that's maybe more bone, increased bone resorption. Um, heparin, I'm not exact, I don't think it's actually known why heparin can cause osteoporosis, but it's a highly charged molecule and it's known to affect growth factors, which can in turn affect bone formation and bone resorption. And and I think that's been thought to be the mechanism. But yeah, I mean, obviously, in the end of the day, um, there must be some local bone loss, let's say, or not enough bone formation predisposing to thinning of the bones. But the sequence of events is not entirely clear, to be quite honest, Richie. 
Why is it that pregnancy-associated osteoporosis predominantly occurs in first pregnancies? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's reckoned that about 80% present for the first time during a first pregnancy. That's absolutely true. <clears throat> Although there is a recurrence, it's been estimated that there may be a recurrence in, a, in about 20% of women thereafter. Now, whether is it because maybe if a woman is diagnosed with it, they maybe see someone, they maybe get treated, and so they're less at risk? I, I don't know the answer to that. I think it's only in recent years um, treatment has been offered. and We still don't know what the best treatment is or, or whether you actually even need treatment uh, because the condition does tend to reverse spontaneously without any treatment. So, but like pregnancy associated, like so many things associated with pregnancy associated osteoporosis, so much is unknown and we really know very little about the disorder. The other thing, if I could highlight, is that um, in about 80, 85% of people, it's or women, sorry, it's spine fracture. So it really hits the spine. And often in that same woman, their hip bone density will be absolutely normal. So there's a certain localization of it. But conversely, there's a subgroup of women, and this is much less common, and they can present with, again, a localized osteoporosis of the hip, and it's sometimes called transient osteoporosis of the hip. It can actually lead to a fracture. But again, why, you know, why the hip in some women? Why the spine in other women? Who knows? And it's not as though peripheral fractures, I don't know, like wrists or whatever, they're not so common in my experience. So, yeah, it's a bit of a puzzle uh, why it targets these specific bones. I guess the rates of bone remodeling, bone turnover, bone repair are much higher in the lumbar vertebrae and the hip than anywhere else in the body. So if something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong there. Yeah, certainly in the spine. Yeah. And you mentioned that there aren't many uh, wrist fractures. Is that because these fractures happen kind of without trauma rather than say a fall? Yeah, I mean, wrist fractures are more common in older women, like above the age of 50, maybe above the age of 60. And um, and it's not often you see that, like a younger woman presenting with that. So maybe maybe there isn't a fall. And, and I must admit, in the women I've seen with pregnancy-associated osteoporosis, I don't know if David thinks the same, but usually there hasn't been any trauma. You know, they've not done anything. Um, they've not kind of lifted something heavy or strained their back. And so it really, it, it does occur, you know, quite surprisingly and out of the blue. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, we call this osteoporosis and we have our World Health Organization diagnosis of osteoporosis, our T-score less than minus 2.5, and it's all focused on postmenopausal women. And I was going to ask you, do you think this even deserves the, the name osteoporosis? You know, is this the same condition we're looking at because it came into my head when you mentioned about the, the focal hip osteoporosis because you know I maybe have two or three patients I've seen in the last few years with that presentation of pregnancy osteoporosis I've maybe had six or seven I've seen with with the more I would say more typical vertebral fracture type osteoporosis who when you do a DEXA scan have very low T scores and I've often wondered Am I seeing, you know, two parts of the same condition or am I seeing two completely unrelated conditions? And indeed, are they related in any way to the condition we call osteoporosis that we see in postmenopausal women? Yeah, thanks, David. Yeah, I think I think it definitely isn't the same as the osteoporosis we see in postmenopausal women. Obviously, the pathophysiology is different. And I think 
the hip problem and the spine problem are separate. You know, I think they definitely are uh, separate. And and why some women get one kind and the other get uh, another kind, I mean, really, who knows why that is. And um, and there's so much to understand about why the condition occurs. Um, it, it, you know, there are some women that have been described. In fact, my colleague, Alison Black, described a patient who incidentally had had a DEXA scan. Um, I think she was taking part in a study, one of these... Um, a kind of community-based study of DEXA and became pregnant and then got pregnancy-associated osteoporosis. And there are these handful of cases. So this woman actually had low bone density to start with, quite low bone density. And and during pregnancy, they weren't able to measure her during pregnancy, but they were after the baby was delivered. She dropped a lot of bone actually during pregnancy. So that was one patient where there had been, let's say, an exaggerated loss of bone. And so maybe that's a mechanism in some cases, um, but in most, we don't know. Um, there is some evidence uh, that perhaps genetic factors may play a role. So there may be women with underlying diseases like, I don't know, osteogenesis imperfecta, for example, brittle bone disease. And it is possible that a proportion of these patients, you know, might present during pregnancy. But again, very little is known about the epidemiology of that. So I was going to ask you, how, how do you advise patients who present with this? I mean, how do you, I suppose, those who those who've had a fracture and who have had a DEXA scan, which shows low bone density, and maybe someone listening to the podcast who was just worried they may develop develop this. Okay, so this would be someone without osteoporosis are you talking about, or someone that's been diagnosed with it? Yeah, I'm just thinking someone listening to the podcast, maybe their grandmother had osteoporosis, they're listening okay, to the podcast, okay. and, and they're worried. You know, people worry about things, so sure thing. just general advice. Yes, well, I mean, first of all, I would not want to strike terror into the heart of every woman that was uh, being pregnant. I mean, it's very, very unlikely that um, you would suffer this. What we do know from studies from Spain, actually, or at least there was one study from Spain, is that if you had a family history of osteoporosis, you may be more likely uh, to get pregnancy-associated osteoporosis. It's quite a small study, maybe about 20 patients, but that came out. So maybe there's a familial background and, and and it could play into the fact that perhaps um if you have low bone density to start with and we know that family history can affect that then maybe you may be more likely but i think for the vast majority of women i i, I would say for goodness sake don't worry this is really unlikely to happen to you i think where we want to be uh, looking forward is to get a much better idea of you know what are the risk factors get a comprehensive view for example of how common is family history how common is it if you have heparin or steroids or have other diseases and you know ideally maybe try and build up some kind of risk profile if we can mm -hmm. that might be able to uh, might be able to say to women you know well maybe it's possible that you might be at increased risk, but we certainly aren't able to do that at the moment because it, it really strikes uh, without without us knowing why. And in terms of someone who then presents with this condition, um, I tend to have a, a sort of a watching and waiting brief for, for many of them and will repeat the DEXA maybe 12 months down the line. And generally, I'm always pleasantly surprised at the substantial improvement in bone density you get just through stopping breastfeeding and making sure there's plenty of calcium and vitamin D there. But there's a small number of patients I would consider treating actively. What are your thoughts on that? 
Thank you, David. Yeah. I mean, I think what I would do is I'll explain to the patient about the condition. And I will also say that actually the natural history or the natural progression is for things to get better. So that's the first thing I say, as as you've alluded to. Um, with women, though, that have maybe got a lot of fractures, like a lot of vertebral fractures. Uh, I mean, again, I'll say, well, it may get better without any treatment. I think calcium and vitamin D is kind of probably pretty standard. I think most doctors uh, would advise that. Whether or not you would then advise something like a bisphosphonate, maybe resedronate, alendronate, or zoledronic acid, it depends just on the dialogue with the patient. I mean, what I would say to the patient is that, well, there are these drugs, they're mainly being used in older women, it may help. I don't know if really it's going to help or really going to make any difference or not, but here's the option for you. And and some women decide it's an option they want to take, which is fair enough. Um, I'll take, obviously, their views into account. Other women decide not to. In fact, some other women very much want to breastfeed their baby. And the drugs that we would use to treat osteoporosis could not really be used safely, or at least there would be a doubt about whether they could be used safely if someone was breastfeeding. And, and that will put some women off you know, the idea of having osteoporosis medication. Uh, so I think it's very variable and uh, with different women will think different things. And what I do say to them is that, that really we're not sure what the best thing to do. And I, I do emphasize the importance of trying to get more research, you know, trying to find out what the best thing to do is maybe even a trial of treatment. I think that would be a very good thing to aim for in the future. Yeah, I was going to ask you about breastfeeding because certainly breastfeeding is good for mom and good for baby and has many, many positives. But there is the concern, I suppose, that it may slow down the the restoration of, of the mom's bone health. And um, again, it's something I sort of often come to a compromise with, with mom about. Um, what, what are you, do you have any strong feelings on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you're breastfeeding, a lot of calcium is going out in the milk. I think it depends on the mum's view. I think I would definitely advise calcium and vitamin E, so get plenty of calcium. And I'm not aware of any evidence that women who breastfeed do worse, although from a theoretical point of view, which I think you're you're yeah. hinting at, actually, yeah. it, it might slow the recovery a bit because in normal pregnancy, once you stop breastfeeding, the bone density tends to go back up again. Now, whether that would make a big enough difference to have caused the women to have more fractures, I'm not entirely sure. And you would need probably quite a big observational study to figure that out. But it's certainly a consideration. Absolutely. So I suppose that brings us neatly on to our last question. Stuart, we were wondering if you could tell us about the new research study that you're leading on pregnancy-associated osteoporosis. Yeah, thanks, Richie. Yeah, we've been very fortunate uh, to be funded by the Royal Osteoporosis Society for this research study. Now, one of the themes of our conversation so far has been that so little is known about pregnancy-associated osteoporosis, because most of us clinicians that see patients, um, you know, there's not enough for you to get a picture. So this study is something that uh, women who've experienced pregnancy-associated osteoporosis can sign up for online, okay? And um, 
they can register themselves, they can consent themselves, they can provide details. And in that part of the survey, we're collecting information on which pregnancy did it occur? Did you have any risk factors like heparin steroids? We also ask about any complications of pregnancy like hyperemesis, gravidarum, and so on and so forth. And and we also act about, uh, ask about quality of life, you know, how, how did it affect their quality of life? So we've had uh, about 140 or 150 respondents from that survey so far. And then that's what we call phase one. But the Royal Osteoporosis Society funding has allowed us to move on to what's called phase two. We will be able to, in collaboration with the clinicians that have looked after these women, um, is to look at the changes in bone density that have occurred what's happened, were they treated or not, and, you know, what did the what did the treatment do? Did they have further fractures? Didn't they? What's their current status of both health, bone health? And we're we're probably going to be rolling that study out um, in June uh, or June. The funding starts actually in June of this year, and hopefully that will give us a better really insight into, you know, what, what, why does pregnancy associated osteoporosis uh, occur in the first place? I should say that's quite a lot of respondents for a rare disease. Very happy to get that number of respondents. And so if anyone is listening to the podcast um, that uh, on this, uh, a woman who maybe experienced pregnancy associated osteoporosis, please, uh, please look at the University of Edinburgh website because the the information is there and, and please sign up. So that's my that's my commercial break. <laughs> we can put the link for the study. Oh, thank you. That would be perfect. That would be absolutely perfect. We can put it out on Twitter and on our website. And you're happy from people from anywhere in the world, believe it or not, Stuart, we have listeners from New Zealand to South America to Africa to Canada. Um, you're happy for... <laughs> people anywhere in the world to contribute because this would be really exciting if we were able to recruit from around the globe well uh, good point um the 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 what's called phase one of the study i mean any anyone can complete it because obviously we can't stop someone completing it (laughs) um actually when we submitted the study to ethics they say how are you going to stop people from outside the uk completing it say well we can't you know and they say well fair enough but what what we wouldn't though be able to do it'd be much more difficult for us to then go to the doctors in new zealand or australia because to do that you would need um ethical commission in all yeah. the countries and all the, and, and the funding of the Ross, although quite generous, would not stretch to that. Although I'm very happy to have any donations of up to a million quid to allow us to do a worldwide study. <laughs> That's yeah, good. We can but also... the first part, certainly people can contribute to. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's something that the patient fills in and, you know, and, and it, that will in itself provide some useful information. Great. We can also give a link to Stuart Ralston's bank account in the uh, podcast <laughs> intro. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Stuart, and talking to us. I think a lot of listeners are going to be really interested in pregnancy-associated pregnancy osteoporosis. Okay, thanks, Richie, and thanks, uh, David, as well. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. It's been a pleasure. We really appreciate your time. And I think many of our listeners will appreciate hearing you as well. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. So, David, two fascinating interviews today. What were your takeaways? I suppose the first takeaway, given the, the, given the shock that Kirsty talked about, 
um, the first takeaway and this one of the first things I say to all the patients I see with this condition is that most people do well from this. Stuart talked about maybe 20% recurrence rate. In my personal experience, I don't think I have seen any patient who had fractures in subsequent pregnancies having had it in the first pregnancy. So if you're very unlucky and have this in the first pregnancy, first thing is to be reassured, recurrence rate is relatively small. I suppose the second thing I took away was just more thoughts about what the cause of this is and whether these are people who have very low bone density to start off with and the normal process of pregnancy just edges that down a little and they fracture or whether these are are women who have normal bone density to start with and something goes very strangely wrong uh, with the normal bone turnover and osteoporosis. My feeling is it's probably more likely to be a lot of these people have low bone density to start with. But again, this is something that, that um, the, the research will hopefully tell us. And I suppose in addition to that is just awareness of this. We heard how Kirsty, she, she suffered the pain for a while before she came to attention. Stuart mentioned that a number of his patients had been sort of sent away with back pain. Now, back pain is common in pregnancy, but I think you know as a young mother, if you have severe pain, you know there's something wrong. So if you get sudden onset severe pain in the back in late pregnancy or when you're breastfeeding or when you're looking after a young baby, do feel empowered, sharpen your elbows, you know, get to somewhere where you can get medical attention and if needs be, get an x-ray done just to make sure you're not one of these people who have this have this rare condition. And I suppose the other message just is have a look at the, the University of Edinburgh website and either if you have experienced this or if you know someone who's experienced this or indeed if you're a, a doctor or a nurse or a radiographer who sees patients with this, please do publicise the study because I know Stuart and, and the rest of us interested in this condition are very excited and very interested to get as many people as possible signed up for it. From your point of view, Richie, uh, what did you come away with? It seems there's going to be a lot of really interesting research into pregnancy osteoporosis, and I'm really keen to keep track of the work that Stuart does in maybe learning a bit more about the risk factors for the disease and trying to understand why it is that uh, the disease seems to affect people more in the first pregnancy rather than others. That's really interesting. And I would imagine that by researching this, albeit rare and in some ways extreme condition of osteoporosis, I guess we'll actually learn something more fundamental about the disease, which we can take back into osteoporosis research in postmenopausal women or older men. So that's really exciting. Sometimes it's when you look at the states which are really out of the ordinary that you learn something about normality. You know, the, yeah. the exceptions that prove the rule. That's true. There are there are a number of, of clear up uh, examples in the history of medicine where very rare things have uh, led to an understanding of how the body works and, and enabled us to improve management of much more common conditions. Yeah, and that's really exciting. I mean, it's horrible that people are going through the condition at a time when it should be maybe like the happiest time of your life, you know, mm. having a baby, having a new child. It's a fantastic and wonderful thing. 
And it's going to be really great if Stuart and other people who are researching this condition can really identify those risk factors so we, we can stop these fractures and, and uh, young mothers can, can enjoy themselves and not have to worry about breaking bones. I've been doing osteoporosis research for about 10 years now, and it wasn't until we started uh, planning this episode that I really knew anything about pregnancy-associated osteoporosis. You know, and I'm I'm one of the people in the field, and it was at the very peripheral end of my understanding. So I hope that by doing this podcast today, we're going to help bring this more to the forefront. And yeah, if you if you want to get involved in Stuart's study, we've put the links to his web pages in the description for this podcast. So go and take a look. That's great. So thanks to Stuart. Thanks to Kirsty. I can't believe, Richie, we've got almost to the end of our first series without hearing a patient voice, but I'm glad we glad we got one in. And that's something <laughs> we'll have to learn about, uh, hopefully, for, for our second series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're listening, give us some feedback over Twitter or email. Let us know what you thought of this version of the podcast, whether you like to hear the patient voices, and, uh, and we'll try and give you what you need. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye now.